Hi everyone, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. It's Eva here with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm in this time of COVID-19. We know all you farmers out there are making quick and significant changes to your supply channels, staff, food safety protocols, and more. And you've had many questions for us regarding legal risk management. So this week, we're recording a series of COVID-19 episodes to address your questions about sick leave, unemployment, diversification, sales, contracts, and more. And today, we are back with um, our director, Rachel Armstrong, for part part five of our series to discuss COVID-19 impacts on workers on the farm. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, it's a great subject. I'm happy to keep talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and lots and lots to talk about regarding workers on the farm. And um, I guess let's just start off. What should folks who um, are still keeping on farm workers during this time to um, continue their operations into the spring and summer be wary of right now regarding employment law. Right. right. Employment law is truly the gift that keeps on giving. There's <laughs> always something more to discuss in terms of uh, farm employment law. It's nice because a lot of the other legal subjects we cover, you know, um, food safety, land use, uh, regulations and leases and things like that. Um, you know, we tend to stall out at you have to do whatever you agreed to do. But boy, not farm employment law. There's always another rule we can discuss. Mm-hmm. So getting into into that, uh, yes. So one of the things that um, farms are doing right now to uh, keep some cash flow, uh, to keep folks on payroll, is they're looking at different diversification strategies. Maybe if they used to sell at the farmer's market and there are no more customers, the farmer's market is shut down, or they used to sell at restaurants and that's not um, not working out anymore. Uh, they're looking at other strategies. Farms are looking at doing home delivery. Uh, they're looking at doing some, um, you know, cooperative distribution or other innovative strategies of getting their products uh, to customers. That's great. Those are really good ideas. But if a farm hasn't explored these options before, they might not be aware that a different set of farm employment law rules applies. In fact, they might not know that a different set of of employment um, laws exist. So generally speaking, we have farm employment laws and we have non-farm employment laws. Farming is one of the few industries um, in the United States that often has different rules. than those that apply to all other non-farming businesses. The funny thing is though, is that those rules apply to the tasks. They don't apply to anything the farm does. They don't apply because that business is a farm. They apply because that task 
is farming. So once a farm assigns tasks that are not considered agriculture, that are not considered farming, non-farm rules apply. Non-farm employment laws apply. The most significant area where this comes into play is overtime. As we know, by and large, in the United States, farms do not have to pay overtime. California um, is an exemption. Um, Minnesota and New York also have um, some exceptions to that. There are some ways in which um, California, Minnesota, and New York farmers do have to pay overtime. But that's really rare. For the most part, nope, no overtime. Until dot, 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 of course, until the farm starts engaging in non-agricultural labor, starts assigning those tasks. And in fact, when an employee engages in one hour of non-farm activity in that week, then the overtime exemption is lost for the whole week. So let's say, you know, a farm is starting a home delivery service. Engaging in home delivery uh, is likely not agricultural labor. Now I'm hedging because we don't have a lot of case law on this. We don't have a lot of guidance from the, the powers that be, and I'm talking federal law, so it's the federal government. Uh, there's not a lot of guidance on exactly where that line is. Where are we crossing that line into, into non-agricultural labor? But there's a case to be made that doing home delivery or doing things like just combining your product with other farmers' products and packing them in boxes, even if you're not actually doing the delivery, that those things are not agricultural labor. So if you take your current staff and, and you, you know, start diverting some of them to do, you know, packing boxes of other farmers' products, shipping, delivering, you have to pay overtime for all hours worked over 40 in that week. Maybe that's not a problem right now because you're looking for work to keep you busy and, and hoping you can get to 40 hours per week. So hopefully that's not, uh, not a really tough situation um, for a lot of farms, but it's something to definitely uh, be aware of. And uh, it's not just over time. I also want to touch on workers' compensation. Many farms in the United States are not required to purchase workers' compensation. This is entirely state-specific. There's no federal law on workers' comp, um, and each state uh, sets their threshold differently as to if and when a farm needs to per purchase workers' comp. Now, for those of you listening to this podcast, you probably know if you're paying for workers' comp or not. If you're not paying for workers' comp and you're considering you know, doing home delivery, combining your products with, with other farmers, or doing these things that might not be farming, agritourism, um, now, actually, you're not doing agritourism, you know. Yeah. That was, was social distancing. <laughs> totally. I was going to say, maybe you're thinking food service. Well, no. <laughs> We're not doing that right now either. Uh, but all these other non-ag things, well, workers' comp rules might kick in. So call your insurance agent. Uh, might help you clear that up pretty quickly, whether you need to start buying workers' comp. So those are just two things um, that folks should keep in mind as they uh, pursue other outlets and channels for their marketing. If it's not you know, traditional agriculture, that being the production um, of crops and livestock, you probably need to follow non-farm rules. We have more information on our website. Uh, we have a number of state-specific detailed farm employment law guides that folks can get uh, to figure out what are the workers' comp rules in their state, um, more details on you know, overtime and other things like unemployment insurance.
So check those out. And then also we have a podcast on unemployment insurance, right? Yes. Yep. And I will um, mention all of those in the show notes for this podcast episodes page. So be sure to check out those notes as well. Nice. All right. So overtime and workers' compensation, really important um, employment laws to be aware of when your employees are not necessarily doing agricultural labor. Um, and so I'm now wondering, as sales um, channels shift with COVID-19 and there's less need for employees, um, what about unemployment insurance? What if some of those workers um, get laid off and have to be sent home? What should the farmer be wary of regarding unemployment insurance? Right, right. Unemployment insurance can be a really good thing uh, because it, it helps provide a buffer when people are laid off. If you're unable to to provide them with a you know with enough um, um, work you know and 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 you need to let people go, that can be a really good buffer for them. Of course, from the farm perspective, that means unemployment insurance tax. That can be an additional payroll cost. Uh, many farms, most farms, don't pay into the unemployment insurance system right now. Uh, there's two scales. There's the federal scale, and then there is the state scale. Um, Federal law has a huge exemption for most farms, so they're, they're not paying into that. Uh, most states also have a big exemption. Once you start paying into the unemployment insurance system, your employees become eligible for it. But the problem is that that, that will make your tax rate go up over time. So if you lay people off and then they start you know, using the unemployment system, your payroll tax costs go up for future employees that you that you retain. So uh, it's, you know, it works both ways in terms of, of you know, it has a positive effect on, um, on farm employment in terms of safety nets and resources for workers, but um, it comes with a financial cost to, to farmers. So folks should be sensitive about that obligation and whether, you know, doing these non-agricultural activities is right for their farm. Once you go down that path and you start incurring additional payroll costs in the, in the form of workers' comp and unemployment insurance, you do kind of want to see that, that you're going to have some financial return for that and be able to make up for it. It's hard to do at this time because folks need a solution now. You know, they need to, to try some things and start exploring channels, marketing channels and outlets that are going to work for them. So keep this in mind though, at some point we have to come back to what are the shifting and new employment law obligations that, that we've incurred through this diversification. Mm -hmm. And what costs is the farmer willing to bear based on your farm business's needs? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well now shifting to workers literally on the farm, like their physical bodies are on the farm. Um, and in this time of social distancing being so important for public health and safety, um, what can and can't farmers do in terms of requiring social distancing with their workers on the farm, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. More and more, we see workers that actually live on the farm. Um, we see that in the context of, of interns, uh, folks that might be traveling from, uh, from a distance to, to take that employment position. We see that in areas where um, housing stock is scarce or um, not up to specific standards. We see farms offer housing on the farm because it's a way to reduce cash payroll costs. Maybe it's just more effective for them to, um, to offer lodging um, instead of additional cash wages. So there's a, there's a number of ways in which we see this happen on farms. 
generally when it does happen, um, what's, what's going on is a landlord-tenant situation. Uh, the farmer is the landlord and the worker is the tenant uh, and landlord-tenant laws um, often apply, not always, but they often apply to these relationships. When we look at landlord-tenant law, you can't, it, there's a limit to what you can require in terms of social distancing. Um, you know, I know that, that we see this in our communities right now. We might walk up to an apartment complex and say, you know, um, no guests are allowed because of COVID-19. You know, <laughs> folks will put up signs saying a lot of things that doesn't necessarily mean it's legal. Uh, there are limitations on a landlord's ability to restrict tenants from having guests. Guests, uh, tenants are allowed to have guests. So that's, that's, that also applies to a farm that has tenants. You can't necessarily say to them, hey, you know, no guests, um, even if they're living in your house. Same with if you'd want to restrict them from leaving the premises. Maybe you want to say, okay, well, no going out to, um, you know, grocery stores, no shopping. Mm. You know, landlord tenant law doesn't really allow you to dictate where your tenants can go or not go. Now, you know, things are, things are progressing really quickly across the United States and many states, well, I mean, I should say a handful, but soon many states will have executive orders coming from the governor that, uh, that limit movement. Call them shelter in place, call them lockdown, whatever you want to call them. Uh, there are executive orders that are saying you can't leave your house for these purposes or, you know, the assembly of 10 or more people is prohibited. That, that can change the scenario in a landlord-tenant situation. A landlord can say, okay, I expect compliance, you know, with this executive order. I expect there to be the assembly of no more than 10 persons, you know, um, in this unit. Uh, or I, I expect that you're going to comply and not go out to, um, you know, for, for non-essential purposes under a lockdown order. That may, that may be limited to requesting compliance though. You know, certainly a landlord are, uh, is not in a position to enforce um, these rules. That's the National Guard's job. And in most states where, uh, where these orders are being issued, um, and certainly a landlord cannot take the place of that. So there's some things that can be suggested uh, and things that can be requested, but there's absolutely a limit to what a farm can require of, uh, of workers who live on their premises um, in that kind of a landlord-tenant relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. I know in my lease, um, on the farm that I'm leasing, it says that the tenant, um, which is me, agrees to follow all state and federal laws. And so if and when the governor of North Carolina decides to issue an executive order for a shelter-in-place mandate, I'm especially bound to not have um, 10 or more people on the farm based on the lease agreement. Now, I don't ever think my landlord's actually going to enforce that. He's rarely ever here. He's here once a week to mow. Um, but I know that's what I've agreed to, and I'm a person who's going to want to do good on my word. So um, do be wary, farmers, what's yeah. what's um, written in your leases. And it's it's helpful reminders. And I, and I think all of us right now are especially vigilant about um, suppressing the virus and um, wanting to do everything we can in terms of health and safety. But um, 
every farm's different. Every situation's different. Yeah. Yeah. And just for the, for the, for the legal nerds out there, um, (laughs) of which I am proudly one, you know, when you say, uh, when I, I sign my lease, I, I agreed to adhere by all state and federal regulations and statutes. My brain is firing. I'm like, okay, an executive order. Is that a state or a federal regulation? Mm. I don't know if it is. I mean, and I'm just saying that out of ignorance. I don't know if it is, but I do know enough to ask that question. This is not a statute. This is not a regulation. This is an executive order. So in exact, into which precise legal box does that fix? That fit? Fascinating legal question. And, And let me know, maybe the next, Maybe by the next podcast, I'll, I'll have an answer because um, it's, this is a terrible situation. And, yeah. and, uh, and um, COVID has had so many negative ramifications for the people that, um, that we serve. And the only silver lining at Farm Commons is that there's a lot of really interesting legal questions and scenarios that, um, that have come out of it uh, that, um, you know, they're, it's intellectually stimulating, if nothing else. So small silver lining. Yeah, expanding their horizon of um, what are the good questions to ask and what is an essential, um, what is it essential use for uh, in the shelter yeah. in place mandates, oh, only exactly. essential activities. Um, what is that? Is it yeah, a farmer's exactly. market? Is it going to buy flowers? Is it going to drop off your CSA shares? Um, what is essential right now? And that's a good public discussion to be yeah. having. You know, that's another silver lining is, is, is the increased visibility of how important uh, food, food delivery, um, food providers, people who sell us food, just how vital they are uh, to, to, to our society as a, at, at large. And, you know, lifting that up and recognizing the role that, that, that folks play in keeping us fed and happy. Yeah, it's huge. It really is. We were just recording the um, sales and contracts episode with our staff attorney, Sarah Vale, and we were talking about community-supported agriculture programs, and we were very excited to, to learn that in both of our communities, many farms are maxing out their um, CSA programs and the number of spots they have to offer because so many people are waking up to the importance of a local um, uh, food supply that's sustainable in times of pandemic and crisis for sure. Absolutely. Well, the people who make that happen are the farmer and the workers. So to bring it back to the focus of our conversation today, Rachel, um, I have one more question about workers and I'm wondering now about volunteers and folks who maybe um, are in a position to get out of the house and are okay with going into the outdoors, maybe to a, a park or a hiking trail, but also to a farm and wanting to help out as farms are um, losing lots of their um, markets and are figuring out new sales and are um, maybe open to having quote unquote free help at this time. What should farmers be wary of regarding volunteers? Great question. Great question. I gotta say, now is the time in which I would like to go volunteer on a farm. I would really like to be around the fresh smell of soil, the promise of spring, things growing, things being fresh and 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 hopeful. That's that's absolutely uh, what my life could use uh, right <laughs> now, and it sounds lovely um, and uh, not legal, because that's the role we often have to play at Farm Commons. Um, yeah, it's it, the law is clear on this one. Um, for-profit businesses cannot have volunteers. It just doesn't exist. 
There's no legal box that says, here's what a volunteer is for a for-profit business. Um, and there's, there's really no, there's no way around that. There's no flexibility. Nonprofits and government can have volunteers uh, and everyone else, no. Here's, here's where this comes from in the law. So Fair Labor Standards Act, this was uh, you know, a New Deal era um, piece of legislation. It established the very first minimum wage um, at a federal level in the United States. So it was, you know, just, it was huge in terms of its importance. The Fair Labor Standards Act defines to employ someone as to permit someone to do the work of the business, a for-profit business. So what is a volunteer? Well, it's someone that you are permitting to do the work of your for-profit business. It's not relevant to the law whether they want to do that or don't want to do that or whether they are asking to do it for free or expecting to be paid. It, it doesn't matter whether they are employed or off work or furloughed or laid off or rich or poor or anything. None of that matters. What matters is are they doing the work of a for-profit business? Um, if I am a you know, flower farmer and um, I grow and sell flowers, my work is to plant the seeds, put them in the ground, water them, weed them, pick them, package them, and get them to, to the buyer. That's my work. So if somebody is helping me pick them, well, they're probably really happy because that sounds amazing and I would love to do that right now, but they're doing the work of a, of a for-profit business. Some of you might be saying, hey, I'm a nonprofit. Awesome. I got a guide for you. It's only 40 pages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Light reading. Go, exactly. Go read um, the guide to managing the risks of interns and volunteers. That also addresses nonprofit businesses. If you're a for-profit business and you're saying, uh-uh, Rachel, like, no way. I need more information. I need it now. That's also the place to go. We have more information for you. We've got a little light reading for you. Um, once you go back to, uh, go back to your, your home and sit down with a cup of tea um, after doing your actual farm work, uh, browse and get all the information on uh, volunteers. We lumped in interns, the guide to interns and volunteers um, and apprentices, for anyone interested in that too, um, into the same guide because very often folks are thinking of their interns as volunteers. You know, maybe they receive some compensation, um, but, uh, but for the most part it's volunteers. So check that out. It's always, it's always a bummer to be the bearer of bad news and say, hey, that great thing that you want to do that's socially minded and, and is going to make so many people happy, mm, you can't do it. I hate, uh, I hate playing that role. Um, but our mission is to make sure that people know the laws and make sure that they are empowered to make choices that are right for their farm in full knowledge of the law. So this is just our effort to make sure that you are able, you farmers are able to make choices that are fully informed and that are right for you. My judgment isn't the one that should be substituted here. It's about what you want and your access to information. Yeah, absolutely. Um, access that information and then make the calls for yourself and um, figure out your risk tolerance for your specific uh, farm business. So I have one last question that just came to mind here, Rachel, as we talked about volunteers and people who are doing the work of the for-profit business now being 
um, legally employees, regardless of what you call them. And I'm going back here to the start of our conversation about farms collaborating with each other, um, sometimes not even farm businesses. Maybe it's a, a baker or a coffee roaster or a restaurant that makes hot sauce to put together these bundles of locally produced foods that are now being sold as CSA shares or at farm stands. Um, if those businesses are helping each other out with those packing of orders and delivery, um, are they doing the work of each other's for-profit business and are there important um, maybe paperwork trails that need to be established or compensation that each of those uh, stakeholders need to be wary of? The short answer is no. Okay. No, there are many things that are not the work of, you know, that don't, this, this, this is broad, this is broad, but it's not that broad. What they are each doing their own business in that sense. It, it, so if I produce and bottle hot sauce and I am bringing it to another um, farm that, um, that is bundling up sausages and we're going to meet our fellow bread maker there and we're, we're putting together this package, I'm doing my own work. My work is to get my product into the hands of customers. This is just the way that I'm getting it in the hands of customers. And we often do our own work in collaboration with, with others. Um, you know, if, if I sew skirts, you know, and sell them, um, I've got to, you know, I, I need to work with any number of other business owners um, to, make that, to make that happen. Um, and working in collaboration isn't the same as doing someone else's work. Now, I'm going to take this opportunity. <laughs> let's, let's explore a little further. What is, uh, where are the limits of volunteering? And I want to go back to the farm. So let's say that um, gleaning. I am, uh, I am, I grow flowers. And um, there are many flowers that I leave in the field because they're just, they're a little, they're a little too old, they're a little raggedy, and I'm not spending my time to cut those just to throw them out. I just leave them standing in the field. Let's say some folks come to me and they say, you know, Rachel, these flowers are, are still quite beautiful and they could, they could improve the lives of some elderly living in our community in, you know, assisted living. Can we come through your fields you know, snip those slightly past their prime flowers and then um, deliver them to, uh, to the retirement communities. Now, I as a farmer am panicking. I'm like, oh my God, you know, but the, wait, that's volunteering. Um, you know, you're doing the work of my for-profit business, right? Well, what would you say, Eva? Nope, they are not. <laughs> and tell me why. Because the work of the farm, in this case, the flower farm, is to grow, produce, harvest, and um, market to sell those flowers in order to turn a profit that then makes the business profitable. Um, those flower gleaners are doing a wonderful um, deed by coming and taking what would just be left in the field and making them into something beautiful that enriches other folks' lives. And so they, they're volunteering their time, um, but not to the business of the farm. They're, they have their own mission that they're pursuing that's outside of the scope of the farm business. So they are not employees, thankfully. It's like you work for Farm Commons, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got it totally right. Totally right. That that is not the work of the flower farm. The mm -hmm. the work of the flower farm is to pick a marketable product and then 
market it. Mm -hmm. So they, they are not, exactly. They're not picking past their prime flowers. So letting someone else do that, which is not the, not the work of their farm, is fine. So we don't want to go crazy in, in assuming that anytime anything is done on a farm, that it's illegal volunteering. Um, we don't want to go there. We need to be judicious about considering what is the work of this farm um, and, and what is not. Uh, and and you know, using, using those guidelines usually leads us uh, to, the, to the correct answer. Yep, absolutely. Um, and if you do have questions about the legal risks of diversifying into farm stands and um, collective sales, partnering with a baker, a roaster, or other farmer, um, we recorded an episode episode on um, that subject. So do click back to, I believe it is episode two of this series um, to get most, if not all, of your answers um, there. So, and Eva, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in. One of the hazards of doing doing these podcasts is that they're not they're not thoroughly scripted, and so sometimes I might say something that I didn't phrase exactly right. And I'm an attorney, so I have got to step back <laughs> in and and correct myself. Um, and 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 I I, I used. I used a phrase earlier. I said, you know, that's illegal volunteering. That's not, that's not quite right. Please don't walk away from this conversation and say, you know, volunteering is illegal. That's, that's not it. Um, it's that volunteering is employment. Volunteering for a for-profit business is employment. Um, and that means that employment laws apply. So, you know, minimum wage, overtime, workers' comp, can you have volunteers? I guess, sure, they're just actually also employees, and so you have to follow employment laws. That is the, the, that is the most accurate legal statement that, um, that I need to be sure folks are walking away from this, this conversation with. Not volunteering is illegal. Mm -hmm. Volunteering is employment. Mm -hmm. It's fun to do podcasts on farm employment law, but it's also kind of scary and hard yeah. because this is extremely detailed, um, nuanced uh, legal material. So, so do uh, bear with us as we learn how to um, speak more off the cuff about complex, difficult issues. Mm -hmm. Yep, and to help guide you in the right direction for your farm. Um, and I also misspoke that diversification episode is part three of this series. So be sure to check it out um, in sequence um, and Look out for more episodes because as COVID-19 continues to create new effects on businesses, communities, and our daily lives, um, we're getting more and more questions about food safety, insurance, um, liability. What about um, different farms and who can continue operating if, if your governor has issued a shelter-in-place order? So uh, look out for more episodes from us and um, yeah, keep keep doing that good work and um, we'll hope to continue helping you as best we can. Yeah, we're working hard to try to answer all the questions that our community has. Um, we're really uh, receptive to, um, to your needs. Uh, if you're near a computer, you can email us questions at info at farmcommons.org and we'll do our best to address them in future podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. 
Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.